0: the Oakland crazies Japan that field and dad baby he gone are you kidding me
1: Welcome to the Exit of Velocity Baseball Podcast my name is Brent uh,
0: this evening I am with Zach how we doing I'm doing good, man. We got a uh, big storm brewing here in New Jersey, so hopefully we can get this episode recorded without losing power. And yeah, how's everything with you? Same. I know we got a We got a storm rolling through as
1: well. And one thing I just realized that I listened to some previous podcasts, this first little segment's our weather segment of how the weather is by us. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of funny. <laughs> but yeah, this evening we got Craig Mish on with us, host of the Swing of Mish's podcast. And he's also with the new network that he just joined. How you doing, Craig? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for joining us. The first question we've always been asking our guests that we have on is, "How did you get started in the industry, and where do you want to move forward with it?"
2: Well, I mean, I don't. We're gonna have. We don't have enough time on here to do that, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's been a long road. The media industry is uh, is is very interesting, and it's very uh, difficult, but. Uh, you know, the payoff is really being in sports and enjoying what you do. And I've been fortunate enough to be in this uh, for more than 20 years, uh, covering all sports from, uh, you know, football to baseball to basketball. And, you know, certainly my first love is baseball, but I've covered my fair share of championships in college football and Super Bowls and Final Fours and and all of that as a member of the media. But, uh, you know, essentially the last, uh, you know, 10, 15 years, I transitioned into fantasy because I really felt like uh, fantasy baseball and fantasy sports were going to be a big niche. And I was very fortunate to latch on with Sirius XM and work for them uh, for almost 10 years. And then um, a year ago, I was approached by a company called SportsGrid who wanted to sort of take my show on Sirius and put it on their network and broadcast it on television as well. So it came up, I took it, and we're basically sitting here one year in for me working at SportsGrid, where I'm doing fantasy and a lot of wagering, too, a lot of uh, you know gambling discussion. So uh, very fortunate to be doing what I do, and as you guys know, uh, on the side, I have a podcast where I cover the Miami Marlins, and I think that most people in baseball probably know me for that, as the go-to guy with the Miami Marlins, and I'm very you know proud and honored that I, I'm able to cover that organization.
1: Yeah, that's why one of the bigger reasons we have you on this evening is to cover the Miami Marlins. And I know you're pretty big in that South Florida media market. So my first question would be, after looking this team over, they might be deeper than you would think. So what do you think this team could do in a 162-game season?
2: Well, I think that's in question for sure. But uh, as far as playing a, a, a limited season or a regular season, I think the dynamics change significantly. But you know, regardless of that, if if you want to go back to what most people thought in in March was that this team had a real opportunity to get better, and uh, look, they were, they were coming from the bottom essentially in two thousand and nineteen, but they did sign players in the off that if you just went by the addition of their war, it would have made them ten to fifteen games better regardless. But you know the key for this uh, franchise is their farm system and their development. And thus far, uh, the players that they've drafted and some of the younger players have been exceptional in the minors. And so I would expect or I would have expected to see some of those players uh, later in in a normal season. Um, But at the very least, I would say 2021 is going to be a very exciting season for the Marlins.
1: Yeah, with that loaded farm system you guys have with Sixto Sanchez and J.J. Bleede, I mean, you guys could be potentially make a nice run, like you said, in a couple years. Do you like where this franchise is heading with all this young talent?
2: Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, it's, it's not a matter of, you know, sort of what I like. It's a matter of what has to happen. And, uh, you know, the, the previous uh, regime that was running the Marlins franchise— You know, they they certainly had their share of superstars and did their fair share of drafting and scouting and development because they've had, you know, players that we are all have all come to know right now that have become MVPs and, uh, you know, some all stars. But uh, the sustainability, for whatever reason, in South Florida, we've never been able to quite crack the code as to what it requires fans to come see games. It just has not happened. It hasn't happened, by the way, in St. Petersburg either, where the Rays are, and you would think that Florida's such a hotbed for it. And so with those constraints, developing and building a farm system and sustainability in the minor league system and just layers of talent has to be done. There's no other choice. I don't think the Marlins will ever sign a player to $200 million ever again. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds harsh, but I just don't see it ever happening. Um, And so those draft picks are gold and the development of these young kids are gold and they're going to have to hit on a lot of them. And we're going to find out in the next few years if they did.
0: Yeah,
1: we shall see. Zach, what do you think of this Miami Marlins organization so far? I know you went to a lot of games when you lived down there.
0: Yeah, I uh, I was following them quite a bit. I mean, as a Mets fan, it was weird for me to follow another division team. But when I was down there for the two years I was there, i really was very intrigued by this team uh, they made some really interesting additions last year at the trade deadline you got to like what they're doing in the draft and I, I think overall i think this this new regime has done a, a pretty good job so far um in terms of like the fan experience i know they've been trying to improve the fan experience at the games and i i have to be honest i mean it was just it was a very different experience going to miami marlins game compared to pretty much every other team um i Actually, there were times where I enjoyed it. It's nice kind of just being able to to stretch out and have a lot of space. But at other times, like you just hear crickets in the background. But, I mean, hopefully Jeter has some stuff in the works and ownership, and they can make some improvements. Because it it is a nice ballpark. It's an interesting area. I don't know if maybe the area, it's in in downtown, uh, it's in Little Havana. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's possible that maybe that's just not the best spot for a ballpark. I know the Dolphin Stadium is up 95 closer to kind of to where you are, Craig, like closer to Fort Lauderdale. Right, And that just brings in a ton, ton more people. Uh, so that might be part of their problem. But, I mean, overall, just the overall outlook of this team, they have a very good young core. I really like what they've been doing. It's going to be interesting to see what they do next week with that number three overall pick. But they have some really good pieces. They got uh, Brian Anderson, who I'm a big fan of. VR, they got for virtually nothing. Isan Diaz had a great year at AAA last year. It would be nice if he can make some improvements at the big league level. Jorge Alfaro is a pretty solid backstop guy that they got in the uh, Real Muto trade, and um, Lewis Brinson. I mean, if he can figure it out, who knows? He always tears the ball off the the cover off the ball in spring training, and then he's nowhere to be found in the in the regular season. But they have a lot of talented guys in this team, and I really am curious to see if they're gonna turn things around. And they've got a, a, a re- solid pitching staff too i I love sandy alcantara at the top of that rotation for years to come and caleb smith as well um so yeah this is an exciting team they got some really good pieces and i'm I'm very excited to see what they can do in the next few years and and also if we have a short season this year 50 games possibly i mean who knows i mean this could be a very streaky team they could go on a run i mean it's really up for grabs for anybody um i mean craig you might you might have some insight i mean do you have any idea as to uh, it, it it's obviously a weird subject to bring up, but you have any idea as to what we may expect this season? Do you think we're going to come to an agreement and have a shortened season or, or nothing at all? I mean, do you have any idea as to what might happen?
2: Yeah, well, on uh, on Friday, the the players had their final meeting. I think that you guys are the first ones that I'm telling that to. Um, so I don't know what came out of that yet, but we're going to find out pretty shortly. So by the time that this posts, there may be some sort of resolution Players are in a really tough spot. They they you know certainly seem to have a fair claim that they agreed to get their their uh, you know prorated full salary essentially for the remaining games that are left. I think that their ask is is uh, unrealistic to play 114 games. I don't think there's any chance of that. I mean even even if the owner said yes, I don't think that I think it's an unrealistic ask, and it just sounds like a negotiation. You know, the middle of 50 and 114 is 82. Yeah. And I think that there's a reason why those numbers have been thrown around. And uh, look, I am I could be a little off here. And, you know, certainly I, I do have an opportunity to speak to people in the industry. But it sure does feel like, unfortunately, that the billionaires are, are trying to squeeze as much money as they can out of the millionaires. And in this particular case, if uh, the owners get anything less than 82 games, they win. You know, I mean, they they save money, and um, I've talked about this on on my show and several other shows that there are several big league players that are making 25, 30 million dollars on 20 teams in Major mm-hmm. League Baseball, and if they if the owners have taken their sweet time and gone back and forth on this thing for three weeks, and in the end they come to an agreement for 70 games. That's 12 games less than they thought that they were going to pay. That's 12 games less than Albert Pujols is going to get paid. Miguel Cabrera is going to get paid. Garrett Cole is going to get paid. Bryce Harper is going to get Manny Machado. I could keep going. And the owners, guess what? They save a lot of money. A lot of money overall if they're able to accomplish that. So it's a horrible way to go about this and discuss it. But it sure seems that I feel like a settlement is coming and it's going to be somewhere in that 50 to 70 game range I just don't see the players having any other option unless they don't want to play at all
0: yeah so I was listening to your your swings and mishes podcast I I don't know when the last episode was recorded I think it was last week uh but I think you said on there that you're confident that there is going to be a season or do you still stand stand by that a week later yeah very very much so yes okay I love to
1: hear it Yeah, I wish the MLB would figure it out. Like the NBA, they're about to play all their games at the ESPN-wide World of Sports in Orlando, Florida, which I was actually going to jump back to about the attendance in Miami and St. Pete. I know Scott Inez and Nikki Football with ESPN 580 in Orlando have been pushing for, I feel like it's two years now, to get a baseball team in Orlando. Do you think if let's say Tampa or Miami, one of those teams moved up to Orlando, the attendance will be better with all the tourists coming into like Disney world. Cause I know Orlando magic almost every season ranks in like the top 15 attendance. And half those people are tourists from around the country getting like their first time NBA game. What do you think if they, what would happen if they'd move a baseball team up there?
2: Yeah. The Marlins have a new stadium and a lease that runs years and years. The rays would be the only you know possibility there. Um, I mean, I'm not sure. I I would stop with with Florida. (laughs) It just doesn't seem to be a recipe (laughs) for success. Now, spring training is wildly successful, but it does make you scratch your head a little bit and wonder why the St. Louis Cardinals are selling out every single spring training game in Jupiter. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's more about the team than it is, you know, and, and the history than it is so much the, you know, the location. And the Marlins and Rays don't really have history. And it's hard to build history when you're not winning every year. So I mean, look, I'm, I I suppose that could be a band-aid for the Rays, but it does sure seem to really feel to me like they're going to move to Montreal eventually. I mean, it really I mean, with that discussion that was happening where they would play half their games here and half their games there. I mean, I don't think any of that is realistic, but I believe that a, a team is going to go to Montreal eventually, and whether it's
0: the Rays or an expansion team, that's that remains to be seen at this point. Yeah. surprising, because when there was a team in Montreal, their attendance wasn't all that high either.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, some of that had to do with uh, the ownership there, which inevitably became the ownership with the Marlins. Uh, but uh, but I, I do think that if they built a new stadium there, um, Canada is very supportive of their teams. You're absolutely right. They did not support the Expos at the end. But there are some that feel that because they canceled the 1994 season and then traded off all their players, there was really no reason to go back after that. That was like a gut punch. So whether that's true, I don't know. But they have been getting forty, fifty thousand people at their spring games when they when they've had those games the last three years in Montreal. So I mean, they 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 sort of put that test out there to see what would happen, and that passed with flying colors. So. Um, I would say in the next five years, there'll be a baseball team in Montreal again. That'd be my guess. They got to build a new stadium, though. They can't mm-hmm. play an Olympic stadium.
1: Yeah, that's uh, we shall see. That's interesting to hear. So with the lineup and bullpen diving into more of the Miami Marlins, who's one guy in the lineup that you think could have a little bit of a breakout year? I know Lewis Brinson was part of that Yellich trade, and he still hasn't really caught on. And I'm an, I'm not going to lie. When he was a prospect, I thought he was going to be the next big Me thing, too. maybe. maybe even like a Louis yeah like Louis Robert he was hyped up almost that much
2: yeah I think that we all misfired on uh on Brinson there and and yeah I mean you know Louis is a very very uh, nice kid and and certainly has has tried very hard but I I don't think that he has any future um with the Marlins and and this will be if the Marlins were to send him somewhere else it'd be his fourth team already and Maybe that should have been a better indication that two other teams were able to tr- were you know trade him as as a highly touted prospect. But I, I don't I don't see a future for him. Um, in terms of the players who are on their roster now, a, a lot of the the guys that that you know we could could have seen, and again with the murky situation is still unclear, are you know sort of in their minor league system on the offensive side as far as players that are coming up. So uh, I would not anticipate a ton of breakout guys even in a shortened season. In 2020, um, you know, but I, I do think that in a full season, 100 games or 162, the two players that I think are going to get an opportunity, one is uh, one of the other players in that trade for Christian Yelich, is Monte Harrison, who's had a hard time staying healthy in the minor leagues and, and certainly has swung and missed quite a bit, but does have a lot of athleticism. He was stealing bases like crazy in, in the Grapefruit League. And if he could put it all together, could potentially be a player that could hit 20 big league home runs, 25 big league home runs, uh, steal some bases too. And, and that's you know sort of energizing a ball club. and that could be you know super important for a team that needs that kind of energy. And then the other player that doesn't get talked about enough offensively, uh, but his defense is very good as well, is, uh, is Leywin Diaz, who they acquired in the trade last year where they sent Sergio Romo to Minnesota. Uh, Diaz has been probably their most impressive player that no one talks about. And I would almost guarantee that whether it's 2021 or 22, he's going to be their starting first baseman. Um, You know, he's an elite defender. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, they've they've thrown some crazy comps on him like Carlos Delgado. I don't think that he's him, but certainly I think that he could be a 20 home run bat uh, playing, you know, you know, gold glove type defense at first base. And so he certainly to me is a name to watch. I think in the future that no one's talking about right now.
1: Yeah, I know when the Twins got rid of them, I think the biggest reason was because they had a logjam at first base at the time. We had CJ Krohn, Miguel Sanoa, and now we have Josh Donaldson. So there's pretty much going to be always somebody at first. But diving into this rotation, which is a bunch of like mid 20 year olds that have massive potential Yamamoto and Pablo Lopez, and I know Pitcher List that you were on their panel with, they, they had. Uh, Pablo on one of their podcasts and these guys look great who out of all them do you think is going to have a big big impact
2: Uh, I mean Lopez has a chance to but but health has been a major issue for him Um, Alcantara who we talked about earlier I, I think is a is a horse he's a 200 inning guy and I think he can get better he showed a lot more aggressiveness last year um yamamoto i think is a back end of the rotation type guy he's gonna have good days he uses a lot of deception and and, and you know basically changes his pitches and keeps batters off kilter but I, that can only work for so long and once they start sequencing you it becomes a big issue so i mean i don't i don't i would not see yamamoto being a staple of the rotation for a long time but they have two kids in the minor leagues um Sixto sanchez who they acquired in the trade for real muto who didn't pitch at all this spring, seems to be uh, a non-factor for this year in 2020. I don't see him pitching at all now, considering we're on a shortened season. I just can't see it. But the other player that really, I think, potentially could even move ahead of him is Edward Cabrera, who is, has really jumped up into the top 100 prospects on everybody's board and throws 98, 99 miles an hour and uh, saw him participate, actually pitched in the spring. And, and I believe he would have been their first player potentially called up this year to join the rotation. So um, I I think Cabrera is really a name to watch, and they have another uh, kid in the minors named Nick Neider, who I think is more of a back-end rotation type guy, but they have no shortage of players to call up from the minors in case their big leaguers don't get it done. And look, you have to see repeatable success and sustained success from Alcantara, from Caleb Smith, from Pablo Lopez, They've all shown glimpses. They've all shown months at a time that they look elite. Caleb Smith looked like he was going to be the Marlins all-star representative at the end of May, and then things just did not go right for him in the second half of the season. So a lot of potential is there, but that that potential has to be realized over the course of 162, or in this case, this year, 52, (laughs) or whatever the number ends up being.
1: Yeah, Zach, what do you think this bullpen and rotation can do for the Marlins?
0: Very interesting pieces, like we were saying before. I agree. I think Sandy Alcantara is a workhorse, and uh, I love the Edward Cabrera talk right there. I, I do think I could see him jumping ahead of Sixto Sanchez um, if we do, depending on what happens with their development this year in the minors. Um, he had a phenomenal season last year. Um, they made some some very interesting moves uh, last year at the trade deadline as well. Um, obviously, I thought Zach Allen was a huge piece um, to the future for this team, and they traded him off for, for Jazz Chisholm, obviously the Lewin Diaz deal, and Jesus Sanchez as well. Um, curious what your thoughts are, Craig, on, on some of the moves that they made at the 2019 deadline. They got a lot of future pieces there.
2: Yeah, I love Zach Allen, and I think that, you know, I can't say that trade was a mistake because we're going to have to let it play out, but, boy, you got to circle that one. I mean, the Marlins basically... When they traded him, um, you know, sort of viewed him as a number four starter or a number three starter. I'm not sure that they had that right. I mean, I think yeah. that he could be
0: an ace or maybe even a number two. Which, uh, by the but- way, I hate, I hate to cut you off, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure last year you you broke that news on Twitter. I found out through you on Twitter about that trade, and my jaw just completely fell to the floor. I was I was Mine shocked did too. How did you find out about that? I mean, did you get some insider info there? Yeah, that's that's basically what happened. Yeah, I broke that one and I broke the Tampa Bay trade
2: as well. It was funny. I had the Tampa Bay trade done. Uh, the Rays. The Ra- well, I mean, first, let's do uh, that trade. Um, I was told the Marlins acquired Jazz Chisholm. And, you know, and I was, you know, asking for who and, you know, I wasn't being told. And then eventually they told me it was Gallon. And I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> like, but um the post the uh, the pre the prequel on that is that the Marlins uh, 2 years ago went to the Arizona Fall League and their CEO Derek Jeter saw Jazz Chisholm play and fell in love with him um mm-hmm. I can't say I can't say that that Derek Jeter is 100% responsible for that trade but I would tell you that if there's one player in the organization that he had the most imprint on to acquire I think it's him mm-hmm. so uh Jeter played that position and yeah, you would have to sense. think that yeah, as a scout and You know, he's not a scout, but as somebody who recognizes talent, uh, I I would tend to go with his opinion. And he, I think, was very integral in that trade. That's not to say that Mike Hill and Gary Denbo and their staff didn't, but I believe that he was very, very involved in that trade in particular. And so they basically were waiting for the right time to strike on Chisholm, and they sort of bought low on him because he wasn't having a great year last year in the minor leagues. But uh, character is no question. Makeup is no question. Uh, can he hit a curveball? Can he hit a high uh, fastball up in the zone? We're gonna have to see that uh, this year when he's in the minors. I don't think he'll come up this year. And then, as far as the um, the Rays trade that they made, that was the one that I broke and almost sent out without Ryan Stanek in the deal because they made the trade. Uh, you know, the the, the Marlins basically, uh, you know, went to the Rays. They went back and forth on the deal, and and the Marlins said that we don't do the deal unless Stanek's in it, and the Rays hung up. And then five five minutes before the deadline, they called back and said, "Okay, we'll uh, we'll give you Stanek." So that's how that went down. And you know, we'll see what Stanek ends up being. Um, he pitched so well as the opener, but you know, struggled last year, and I don't, and he's had some back issues this year too. So we'll just have to keep an eye on him and and see how well he is uh, when or if there is a season. That that trade in particular, I, I think that the Marlins basically looked at, uh, you know, an asset. As opposed to a player, I I don't think there's any question Nick Anderson has a chance to be an elite level type pitcher. But when you are not competing for a championship, do you need somebody to bring in in the eighth and the ninth to shut it down for two innings at a high level? And those guys flame out quickly. And I think they, you know, they picked up Anderson for nothing, as you guys know, from the Twins for like zero Mm -hmm. um, and turned him into, you know, a potential all star. And so what they did there was basically take the raised top outfield prospect in jesus sanchez uh, they turned you know something that they developed into uh, you know a potential future all-star so um look those trades it's still very early in the analysis point of view this isn't like the christian yelich trade where we can start analyzing how the players have done and how the how yelich has done or how ozuna has done like these trades need another year Mm -hmm. and i really thought that we'd be sitting here in June and we would have a, a clearer view of it, but guys with no baseball being played, I'm not ready to to say who won, who lost on any of the trades in baseball that happened last year at the deadline.
1: One fight that as well. Uh, one thing too, that I was just looking at the Marlins again, and I feel like there's a lot of players on this entire team that are a lot of journeymen type guys. I mean, Corey Dickerson started off his career in Colorado in that log jam of outfield and kind of, made him his name as a contact hitter and has worked his way around the league. Same thing with Jonathan Villar, started with the uh, Brewers. And, I mean, it's just a bunch of guys. Caleb Smith, too, I know he's had a story. Brad Boxberger used to be one of the better closers in, what, Arizona for a while. Is it fun to have a bunch of guys that have kind of, you know, been around the league, made a little bit of a name for themselves, and now they're in Miami and trying to build a team together?
2: Yeah, I mean that's going to be a weak spot, you know, going into the season, and and when you're a team that's projected to lose ninety games or a hundred games, you're going to have weak spots, and that's going to be the Marlins. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how confident I could be uh, with the bullpen that they've assembled to this point. Boxberger was probably the nicest surprise for the club in the spring, who they signed basically right before the spring training games began, and it looks like he potentially could have made the team, but uh, you know, really. You know, outside of that, you know, Brandon Kinsler is their closer, and we know that they would just flip him if they could, and if he did well in April, May, and June, Um, it's not a strength. It's just, it's it's not going to be a strength of their team, and it's not supposed to be when you're not competing for a championship. You're supposed to be getting mercenary-type players that could potentially be dealt, Mm -hmm. and you could get assets back, like Romo for Lewin Diaz is a perfect example of that. So I think that that would be their hope. And, um, you know, it's fun to talk baseball with you guys and go through all this. It's just every everything that comes out of my mouth seems to have an asterisk because I'm just so unclear as to what the season is going to look like. And my opinion could change <laughs> based on games, based on locations. It's just so much is, is in flux. I mean, when we're talking, it's, it's like I'm giving you my 162 game approach, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure that I should be. You know, it's difficult to do.
1: Yeah, it really is, especially, I mean, if we don't have baseball, we're going to have to wait pretty much another year to reevaluate a lot of this talent and going into like the prospects that you guys have. The one that intrigues me the most is that JJ bleed. A. I feel like he could almost be a Christian Yelich type. He has that body size. He's the lefty uh, somewhat of a contact hitter who in the system that is one of your favorites.
2: Well, the, the players that they acquired in last year's draft, I, I thought were you know far ahead of the ones they acquired the year before. And you know, two years ago their first round pick was Connor Scott, and Connor Scott seemed to you know you know sort of turn a corner, uh, you know, you know, sort of tall, lanky kid, left-handed hitter, uh, but you know, struggled his first year in the minor league, still a very young player and and I'm you know, you know still kind of unclear as to what he could end up being. But I thought that this past year, they really, really hit home runs with Bladey, and Bladey was an easy pick to take because, you know, he was golden spikes award winner, uh, or I'm sorry, Rutschman was, but he was runner up for that. And he played at Vanderbilt, won a championship and massive power, good kid on base percentage, good defense all around. I mean, he could be at the very least an everyday player in the big leagues. They drafted another kid named Cameron Meisner from Missouri who uh, and is another kid with just massive power. We saw him take spring training. I'm sorry, t- we saw him take batting practice at their big league park after he was drafted. And this kid has legit, uh, you know, pole-to-pole power. And I, and I think that if he can get some seasoning under himself in the minors, he could be someone special. And then later on in the draft is really their big, you know, what I would call their big sleeper pick in this kid, Peyton Burdick, who they took um, out of Wright State University who is, uh, you know, a big, strong, or really a small, strong kid. He's kind of built like a truck. He's, you know, sort of built like Mike Trout in a way, but we won't throw Mike Trout's, uh, you know, comparison on him. That's not fair. But, you know, kind of, uh, you know, somebody made the comparison to me of Harrison Bader. Another uh, gave me a good one in Jason Bay. I think it's like a combination of both, like maybe a faster Jason Bay. And certainly Jason Bay had some great years with Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah, yes, he did. Uh, a couple other guys, too, that you have Jose Devers, which is Rafael, Rafael Devers' cousin and part of that Starling Castro deal at shortstop. Do you think he could be making a big league impact in the future?
2: Uh, years away, has had a lot of injuries, and, and I would say uh, a long shot at this point.
1: Okay, and then the Mesa, I know the Victor Victor Mesa and Victor Mesa Jr., one is 18, one's 23 years old. Do you see those two? making a big league impact or do you think the 18 year old is going to become more of somebody than the 23 year old?
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, the Marlins made a really big statement by, by diving into the international pool and showing the community that they were willing to spend money. I don't, I don't know that, that, uh, Victor Victor Mesa is going to be worth that. He has not looked anything close to what, um, to what anybody thought that he would be has had a hard time staying on the field and, um, it's, you know, you never want to bet against a kid that's that young, but he's shown nothing thus far. His brother, mm-hmm. you're right. His brother has shown some glimpses of of maybe being, uh, you know, better down the line than his brother, but we're still years away from that. Um, yeah, I would say that Victor Victor was pretty much overhyped to this point. Mm-hmm. It has not developed, uh, but, if, but still only, you know, a year, a year and a half in their system, coming from a country where he doesn't speak any English and now is forced to You know, learn everything on the fly. We got to give him a mulligan for that. But I think the next 100 games for Victor Victor are going to be critical because I I think that he's going to need to show something next time around.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that, Zach. Who do you think in the system can make a big league impact? Maybe a guy outside the top 10, the guy inside the top 10.
0: I'm intrigued by. uh, They have some really good outfield prospects. Uh, Obviously, we were just talking about a few of them, but. I mean, in the next few years, you could see Blade, Monty Harrison, Jesus Sanchez out there. But another guy I really like is Gerard Encarnacion. He actually had a really good spring training, obviously very small sample size, batting over 400, a couple of home runs. He looked really good, played pretty well in A-ball last year as well. I mean, do you think, I actually have a few dynasty shares of this guy. Uh, do you think he could make an impact in the coming years, or do you think he might be the odd man out with everybody else there?
2: Yeah, I mean, they—they they, it's possible, but they still, you know, have other guys there as well. You know, another player that you know is interesting is Jeever Encarnacion, another uh, you know kid who they have. Who I, I don't know what position he's going to play. He's like six foot eight and, and can hit with crazy power as well. But oh, look, I, I think it's certainly possible. But um, look, they're they're very rich with uh, with prospects in the minor league, so we're going to have to see. Who do you think they take at with the third overall pick in the draft? My guess is that it goes the way that everyone is projected, where the first pick overall in the draft is Spencer Torkelson, and the second pick in the draft is Austin Martin from Vanderbilt, and then I believe Asa Lacey, the pitcher from Texas A&M, if he's on the board at that point, I believe the Marlins will take him. At this, it, this is no different than the NFL draft where we had so much switching around. Is you know with the Dolphins taking Tua, is he not going? Are they not going to take him? Are they going to take Herbert? Is Chase Young gonna go second. This is the same mm-hmm. things going on now with baseball. I mean, I gave you one, two, three. I'd be shocked if that wasn't the order.
1: So throughout the years, I'm sure you've had a lot of media contact with players and people. What are some of your
2: favorite memories that you've had? I mean, there's a there's a lot. <laughs> there's there's uh, there's a lot. I mean, I've I've covered it all in baseball, World Series, All Star games. You know, uh, I, I've 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 did work for the Major League Baseball Alumni Association. I've I've met. You know virtually every living Hall of famer that's been out there either interviewed them or become friends with them. So uh, there's there's too many to name. I mean, I, I I don't i don't I don't know that I could just pick out just one. Um, last year, i I did a an hour one on one with Reggie Jackson, who hmm. you know, I grew up sort of idolizing and um he gave me his cell phone number, and so we communicate. and that's that's been something that's been interesting. I think that that's probably you know, at the, you know, near the top of the list as a kid who grew up in Brooklyn in the early seventies, uh, into the, you know, before the eighties began as a Yankee fan, never thought that I would have that opportunity. But what happens is, is that it's not that you become sour as a fan, but you just become a lot more impartial mm-hmm. and you, you find yourself where I find myself, I would say, being friends with a lot of the players that are currently in the game and outside the game, but the relationships that we have, I don't, I don't view as, you know, like, Oh my gosh, I'm speaking to this person. It's kind of like a, a friendship and, you know, professional relationship as well. And I, and I feel very proud that the players and executives around the game have been able to trust me with information and give me the ability to help me because make no mistake about it. When they tell me something, Mm-hmm. And I'm able to break some news, whether it's on the Marlins or or anything going on in Major League Baseball, um, you know they're doing that for me, and so mm-hmm. I must be doing something right with that
0: relationship, and that's what I'm probably most proud of. Very nice. Yeah, Zach, do you have anything else for Craig this evening? Yeah. So, Craig, we've had some guests on recently, and we've kind of done a little bit of rapid fire questions at the end. Um, if that's okay with you, maybe just ask you a few questions here.
2: Absolutely. And I'm sorry. I didn't, um, I'm sorry I wasn't able to answer that last question. Uh, as as well as as you as you wanted to, but it's uh it, it's hard to like just start singling out you yeah. know memories and players of and you know, who knows who's listening to this. and it's like is is my is my friend Andre Dawson gonna get mad that I singled out Reggie Jackson? you know it's like <laughs> yeah. I, I, gotta, I, I don't want I don't want to play it you know too too far out there, but I am you know certainly
0: proud of of having relationships uh, with a lot of people in the game. Yeah, that is awesome. I would love to know if Andre Dawson's listening to this podcast right now. (laughs) I you know, I
2: I highly doubt it. He works in a mortuary. He
0: owns a mortuary.
2: Um, but but either way, it's like you have to think to yourself, who am I gonna who am I gonna get mad about when
0: somebody, you know, clicks on this? Well, you might you might not be able to answer some of these questions then that I have for you. (laughs) But the red chat. The Reggie Jackson story was very cool. That was a good one. That definitely stood out. Uh, um, so obviously Miami is your home ballpark over there. First, I'm, cu- I'm curious to get your thoughts on the ballpark. Do you do you like going to that ballpark? Is it just not one of your favorites? And then what is one of your more favorite ballparks to go to uh, when you're traveling with the team? Sure.
2: Yeah. The, the Marlins ballpark is very underrated. It's very easy to get to. There's this big misnomer that it's difficult to get in and out and around. And there's no question that traffic is an issue, but they did change the game times this year to 6.30. And so it's going to be a lot easier for people to get their kids home. And I know that that's a concern for a lot of people, but they have been fan-friendly. They have tried to change the game experience. Uh, The bottom line is they have to win in order to to get fans there. But I do really like the ballpark a lot. Baseball likes the ballpark a lot. They had an all-star game there. They planned on having the World Baseball Classic Championship there, too. So uh, I got no issue whatsoever with their park. Um, Perhaps my favorite park that I have been to, at least on the recent end of it, would be AT&T Park in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. I think that that, to me, just embodies what you want a ballpark to be like. Passionate fans, usually good weather. A little on the cool side, but good weather right on the water. And, um, you know, and I had some, you know, uh, you know, really fun going there. Um, I, I, you know, the story, you know, for that one was my wife and I back in, you know, about 2004 before we had kids or anything like that, we went out to California for a trip and uh, we, we went to opening day in San Francisco in 2004, if I'm not mistaken. And it was not opening day. It was opening day in San Francisco. So you guys know how that works. They played like three games somewhere else before they came back or six games somewhere else. And then it was their first game there. A buddy of mine told me how we could uh, meet Willie Mays if he was going to be at the game. They told us where he parked and we went over there and we waited like 10 minutes and then he just pulled in. We took a picture with him. It was one of the cooler experiences that we had. Hmm. And uh, Barry Bonds, sitting on 559 home runs, uh, and and his godfather, Willie Mays, at 660, hit a home run into McCovey Cove to tie 660. Willie Mays Hmm. came out, gave him a trophy for tying him, and uh, that was a pretty cool experience, I would say. I've had a lot, uh, but that park in general um, is one of my favorites, and I certainly had a really uh, historic experience there. There's been a couple guys
1: we've had on that Jeff Levering with the Milwaukee Brewers— that's his favorite ballpark to go to as well when he travels, and I know benched with Bubba Casey Bubba. That's his home park as well. But we've had a couple. We've talked to a couple people, and they that's their number one out there. So I'm gonna have to check it out.
2: Yeah, yeah. Jeff Jeff Levering, by the way, does a fantastic job with the Brewers. He was actually um, a finalist for the Marlins TV job, and and decided to uh, pull himself out of the running there. He 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 would have done a fine job. I think Jeff is going to end up being uh, a TV broadcaster for a Major League Baseball team and a very big mm. one very soon.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know he does uh, works with Fox Sports and Big Ten does like college football and college He's
0: basketball. As well. He's great. He's great. Mm-hmm. We're friends. Very cool. Um, and just back to the Marlins ballpark for a second. I, I agree with you. I think they, they've made some improvements. Um, I was there for for two years the first year. Just you could definitely tell the differences they made. In the second year, um, even just basic things like the food, the the food was so poor the first year. It was they made, yeah. they made some great changes there. Got some local vendors. Um, so I thought they did a great job with that. And I love the convenience factor that you brought up. I'm used to going to City Field in Queens, and it's such a hassle to get to. It's like an hour and a half, two hour commute each way. Uh, where, where I was living in Miami it was a tw- 15 20 minute commute to the stadium, I could park in the garage and just walk there. It's it, it is very underappreciated. I agree with you on that. Another question for you favorite Marlins player that you've covered in your history of covering the team?
2: Oh, that's an easy one. Uh, that would be uh, Cliff Floyd, who mm-hmm. uh, played with the Marlins in uh, you know, 1997 through 2002. Uh, Cliff and I. Uh, became very, very close friends. We started his charity foundation together. We hosted radio shows and television shows together for uh, about 15 years. And um, probably, if he's not my closest friend in the game, it's got to be really close. I mean, our families know each other, and uh, he took me under his wing when he was a young player and basically told me that he was going to help me. And and, uh, he retired, and I helped him, and we just, I mean, we're like brothers. We have an unbelievable relationship
0: together. That's very cool. I've heard great things about Cliff Lloyd. I heard he was very similar, like, with David Wright, like what you're saying, kind of played, like, the mentor role and loved his work on uh, MLB Network as well. So, yeah, Cliff, definitely great choice there. Um, this one's kind of bittersweet. Obviously, me and Brent, we were, we were huge. Jose can, can Fernandez. I, can, I give,
2: can I give a couple of uh, other Marlins, too?
0: Yeah, definitely. Okay. Okay.
2: Um, Yeah. The, the other two Marlins um, that I would say that I've enjoyed and have developed personal relationships with um, one is Brad Ziegler who retired and uh, you know, in, in the years that he was here, we became really good friends and we still talk all the time. Our families know each other. We participate together in fantasy football leagues and uh, he treated my family and my kids and treats everybody like gold. And um, you know, one of the, one of the nicest players that you could ever come across. We don't we don't have a twenty year friendship, but in the in the few years that we've known each other, I you know certainly um, you know want to make sure that I mention him. And then the other would be uh, J T. Realmuto. He and I uh, have developed you know a really strong friendship, and um, you know we talk you know quite a bit. We participate in fantasy football together as well, and um, you know I know his family a little bit, and certainly. Um, You know, from a professional, we we probably have more of a professional relationship, uh, but we also have a pretty strong friendship and and a level of trust that we've built through the years, too. And so uh, even though he's in Philadelphia now, I certainly pull for him. I I really uh, feel like he is about as hard a
0: worker at his position and his craft that I've ever seen in the game before. Mm. It's one of the best out there. You sound like you would make a great sports agent, Craig. Just developing these personal <laughs> relationships with these players. I, I thought, I thought, I thought that I would go down
2: that road when I was younger. I mean, that that was a. I mean, I still think that I probably could do that, but you know, you choose the path, and you know, the first path is you want to play, and then you're five foot eight, and you're Jewish, and then that's it. You know, you end <laughs> up in the booth. Um, so you know, I mean, there's there's different paths that life takes. And, you know, I'm, I'm I'll, I'll look back and say, hey, you know, I wonder how it would have been to do this or I wonder how it would have been to do that. But it's funny that when I look back now on on some things and I and I still feel, don't get me wrong, that I have uh, a lot ahead of me in terms of, of of covering baseball and covering sports in my career. But on my TV show, it's really interesting. We we have been you know, doing these You know, crazy segments over the last three months, guys, and you can only imagine trying to fill a two hour sports (laughs) television talk show, what that's like. It's been a nightmare. It's been very, very difficult. And so, you know, I'm just coming up with all these ideas and cleaning out my garage. I went through and found all of the things that I've covered. I, I kept every single media credential for every significant event that I had been to for about 10 years. And the reason why I did that is because I never take this for granted. And I always knew that, hey, you know, this could come to an end one day. And what am I going to have to show for this? Like, you know, I can tell stories like I'm a good speaker. But like, wouldn't it be cool to like put a book together of all the things that I did? And I have it, you know, and, and I and I stopped, you know, I stopped with the book probably about eight, 10 years ago, because mm-hmm. it, it's not as special as it was like the first time of places that I've been. But like when I went to Lambeau Field for the first time, it says, you know, Craig Mish, welcome to Lambeau Field. And I kept that and the press credential to get on the field. And I mean, that's just one example of like, you know, hundreds that I have and I kept because I think it's just for me, I don't ever want to become that crotchety old sports writer or a person that covers the game that takes it for granted because, Mm -hmm. you know, we get to go to games for free. We get to watch what we love for free. We get to get paid to do it and we get to eat. And so, I mean, who could complain with that? So for yeah. me, it's this is this is this has been the toughest part of my career, probably right now, is not being able to have have baseball. I mean, it has been, um, you know, really tough. And it is an honor to be able to do what I do, and I don't ever look at it any other way.
0: Yeah, definitely. That'll be a nice little scrapbook to make down the road mm-hmm. with all that stuff. Um, so. I, I'm going to try for this one here. I mean, you were just talking about some of your favorite players that you've covered. Is there somebody that you just did not enjoy covering, a former player? If if you can't answer it, we can just move on. Oh, to the next yeah. One. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, I've had a few
2: run-ins through the years. Um You know, the rapid fire run ins would be uh, John Thompson, the head coach of Georgetown, ripped Mm. me um, when I was much younger, saying I didn't understand basketball at a press conference after his team lost to the University of Miami many years ago. Uh, He destroyed me for nothing, you know, just for for being mad. Uh, Chris Carter, the wide receiver Mm -hmm. for the Vikings at the time. I asked him after they lost to the Buccaneers if he felt good for Tony Dungy because they were go to the same church together when Dungy was there and, and, you know, they had the same pastor and he annihilated me in the postgame interview saying, you know, you don't understand the game, why I don't play the game, I don't play to lose and who cares about Tony Dungy. It was, <laughs> I mean, he he was just in a bad mood. Um, Alonzo Mourning thought I stepped on his foot one time and yelled at me and then later on apologized realizing I never did
0: uh, step on his foot. Um, that's probably not hard to do anyway. Yeah. Size so, those,
2: so, those, so those are, so those are just a few, but I wouldn't say outside of John Thompson, you know, cause Chris Carter, I saw later on and things were okay, but outside of, outside of John Thompson, I don't think that anybody really tried to take me down. I, I wouldn't say that I've had like overly negative experiences. I've, I've, I've had run-ins where, you know, players have pulled me aside and we've talked it out and we've been cool. Um, you know, Starling Castro, that happened with me and him last year. And so, you know, he'll never like me ever, but you know, it's, it's, you, you have to do a job and you have to tell a story. And, you know, if you have the lowest war for any position player in baseball after four months, you know, I'm going to say you do. And, you know, and that's what Castro did. So, I mean, I, I, you know, you gotta be able to tell the story and sometimes you're going to, you're going to hurt relationships over that. And I understand that. And I respect that, Mm -hmm. but I never do anything personal to anyone. I never take personal shots. Uh, I learned many years ago that that players are people and, you know, Lewis Brinson can bat 170, but I would never say that the guy sucks. I would never Mm -hmm. do because because he's a human and and he struggles and and he's just like us, like he hears it, he reads it. And I, I try to be as cordial and as forthright as I possibly can with these guys, because I certainly wouldn't want somebody saying that about me.
0: Yeah. Definitely. All right. I appreciate you throwing some of those themes out there. Sure. Um, the next question, it's a little little bittersweet. I know all of us here at the podcast, we were huge Jose Fernandez fans. And when you were on PitchCon uh, last weekend, um, I think Nick asked you about uh, Jose Fernandez memory. And you mentioned about when the, uh, the new D- GM, Dan Jennings, came on board. Yeah. I thought that was a great story. I was just wondering if you had maybe another really good uh, Jose Fernandez story that you could tell. Or memory? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, you know, you know, Jose Fernandez,
2: uh, you know, in, in in the public view, was a very energetic, uh, lovable guy, and you know, loved the spotlight, thrived in the spotlight. Everything that you saw, uh, you know, in person on, I'm sorry, on television, was who that guy was. But behind the scenes, he was a very uh, fierce competitor. And he, I I think personally, in order for him to be as successful as he was, he had to kind of have that, that gear, that turn it on gear where, not that he was a negative guy, but, but he was, uh, you know, brash, you know, he was really uh, the kind of guy that would yell in the clubhouse, uh, you know, I'm going to go play for the Yankees if you don't pay me 200 million, like he, he's that kind of guy, so. You know there were there were things like that that I don't think that a lot of people saw, but you know certainly he was uh, you know, to me was gonna be one of the top three or four pitchers, maybe the very best pitcher in all of baseball. But he like had to harness this this angst, this this energy. Um, and and yes, it, he was a fun guy for sure. but uh, behind the scenes he could be a real you know tough guy. And I think that some of the best pitchers in baseball, Uh, Randy Johnson, you know, Kevin Brown, Nolan Ryan, you know, they had to harness that stuff too. So it doesn't make him a bad person at all. And I've heard people say that about him um, in that way. That's not the case. It's just that he, you know, had to go about himself a different way in order to accomplish what he tried to do. It was really interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I feel like Max Scherzer is another one of those guys that I feel like he's always competitive as well. And you can almost see him try to like hold it all in. But at times during a game, he'll let little bits and pieces out. But he just kind of holds all that competitive competitiveness and energy in.
2: Yeah, that's that's what Jose was like. You know, the best the best comparison I could give, um, although Jose was was much more uh, meaningful to the media, was uh, Kevin Brown was like that too. Kevin Brown mm-hmm. was very difficult to be around. Um, he was very competitive, didn't want to talk to people, and and he needed that in order to succeed. And now that Kevin Brown's retired, he's the nicest guy in the world. You know, it's like completely different. So. It just happens in sports. Guys need to harness uh, different parts of their emotion in order to bring that on the field. So I certainly respect that. Um, mm-hmm. And and um, and yeah, it was just a, an absolute tragedy with Jose Fernandez. And when people uh, talk about the Marlins trading Yelich and trading Stanton and, you know, and all these things, it all circles back to that. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that was that was really the, the thing that you just don't recover from that. And I I don't think that people understand that, like, you know, the Marlins had to trade all those guys. Did they? Did they not? And how did they? Why did they trade Yelich? Why did they trade? I mean, just go on any major league baseball team, take their best player away and away Mm -hmm. forever and say, what do you do now? I mean, how many teams can come back from that? And uh, I I think that that just zapped the ownership. You know, he sold the team the next year or the year after.
0: Um, It was just a, a really difficult situation. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was the ownership um, selling the ownership group? Do you think that was in the works before all this happened? Um, no, I don't think so. I think it came right after that. Mm. Okay, I, I remember. Uh, like I said, I'm a Mets fan, and that game after what happened, and that first game back, that was that was the most difficult baseball game I've ever watched. It was just it was extremely difficult. Just tears constant tears that lead off home run with D. and it was it was just a tough tough game to watch but it was just great to see them uh be together as a family and just uh just remember jose because it was he, he was a great player and he seemed like a great guy so mm-hmm. yeah moving on to some other questions here here's your big fantasy player how many fantasy leagues are you in typically in a given year in baseball? Yeah.
2: Yeah, about a handful, three, four, five, something like that.
0: <laughs> we had, who was it? We had uh, Alex. Eric Bass. Cross. No, we had Eric Cross on uh, the other day, and we asked him the same question. He said, oh, you know, ranges from like six to 20. <laughs> I was like, that wow. is. Wow, yeah. No, I, I quite stopped the range. playing that
2: many leagues a while ago. Yeah.
0: Was there any trade or report that you may have leaked out? slightly early that kind of got you in hot water with some people is there anything along those lines that happened
2: Uh, you know I I tend to be very careful with that sort of stuff so you know I take it you know pretty seriously Um, when Brad Ziegler got traded I reported that he got traded but I didn't know what team he got traded to and so um, you know some of the other people in baseball were reporting that he actually had not been traded and he did It's just that I didn't know where he got traded to. And then 10 minutes later, we found out that he got traded to Arizona. But that was one that I was on edge a little bit because, you know, I knew he was traded, but it just wasn't reported. But that's like 10 minutes of my life that I was like, oh, my gosh, like, please, like, like, can we get this done here? So I don't look stupid. Two more quick ones for you. Favorite baseball movie? Uh, I mean, I'm a sucker for the natural. I know not everybody thinks it's the best one but to me that was the best one i really like that field of dreams major league i would say those three the
0: classics okay and then last one uh just a miami question what's your your favorite restaurant to go to in miami after a ball game
2: oh that's a good one um uh there's a place in, in near my house in hollywood called sardelli uh it's an italian uh steakhouse and, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty good. Billy Joel has been known to frequent there. I would say that's my favorite. Nice. Very cool. I'll have
0: to check that out. All right. That's, that's all I've got for you. Um, Craig, thank you for joining us. Brent, do you have anything else for him tonight? No. Yeah. We appreciate you joining us, given,
1: giving us your hour, hour of your day and all the insight in the Miami, Mar- about the Miami Marlins organization. And if we'll later on, maybe next year we can do like a recap of the season and get you back on. Uh, Sure, I would love it, guys. Thanks for having me again.